When we receive Jesus Christ, Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. Sometimes we're looking because we're so, um, we're, we're so sense knowledge aware. We're so conditioned to our, our five senses that um, we're trying to look for God often and find him in our five senses. But Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and it resides inside of us. And, you know, sometimes we get discouraged because we don't feel God, but it's our faith in our decisions about receiving Christ. It's our faith in the decisions that we believe that he took our sins to the cross for us and he took care of all of our sins, past, present, and future, that gives us an ability to get up and live life in faith. You know, it is, um, I think all of us have different distractions that we have to deal with, but it's our faith that we have apprehended this treasure in Jesus Christ to continually follow the Lord and give ourselves to what God is saying to us. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Plus, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit when he, when he went to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit back to us so that we would be able to discover these treasures that God has for us, the riches of the inheritance that he has for us. I want to talk a little bit about inheritance today in the way of our future inheritance being heaven. You know, we've been talking last week about some of our inheritance we get right away. We have salvation in Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the peace of God. We have an active fellowship that starts with God through Jesus Christ. But there are some future inheritances that we're not going to receive until we go into eternity. Heaven. In John 3.27, John the Apostle said, or John the Baptist said, this, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Everything that we have really is a gift from God. And the more we come to God through Jesus Christ, the more we get more aware of the things that God is giving us and the things that God is doing for us. The Holy Spirit was sent to us is probably the greatest gift because it's God living with us, God awakening us and awakening our heart to discern what things he's saying to us so we can recognize those inheritances that he has for us. Heaven, you might say, is the greatest distribution center there is for us. Because <clears throat> everything that God has comes from heaven. It comes from his throne, the source of peace and blessing, the source of goodness, the source of healing and transformation, the source of hope where, where all you have is hopelessness and discouragement. Our key verse for today is 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Peter's talking about a heavenly inheritance, and he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, Adam's sin we know brought death and separation from God, but Jesus allows us to be reborn by faith in him, him taking all of our sins to the cross, making us righteous like the righteousness of God, and so restoring us in fellowship like Adam and Eve had before the fall. In 1 Peter 4, 1, 4, to an inheritance... He's redeemed us and brought us to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, <clears throat> reserved in heaven for you. I mean, a lot of times we're so just concerned about what's happening here that we forget that there's so much more for us in heaven and in all eternity. 
that there's something going to go on that it's not going to depreciate. It's not going to devalue. It can't be lost or stolen or ripped off or forfeited because we had lack of, you know, lack of understanding of what we were getting. But it's an inheritance that is going to last forever that's going to be for us. And it says it's reserved for us in heaven. It's like um, our life here again has so many different priorities. We hardly ever think about our future with God in heaven, our eternity. Jesus offered the thief in paradise something. Or he offered the thief paradise. In Luke 23, 39 through 43, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus on the cross scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us. Well, you're at it. Put the other, rather you're at it. But put the other criminal, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. The Strong's has a definition of of paradise. And also there's one in the Bible dictionary. Another name for heaven and description. It could be a forest or an orchard. A word used to describe the Garden of Eden. Gardens of beauty and splendor. A place of spiritual bliss. We don't really realize all that we've gained spiritually until we come through Jesus Christ. And there, there becomes more of awareness and an understanding about our future inheritance with God. People to try to find heaven at the beach or some tropical island, in the mountains, with the lakes and the forests. At the redwoods, there is peace you can actually feel. God created the natural world, and it's no wonder that people like to escape to find rest from the busyness of life in these places. People say they feel closest to these places I just mentioned. I know for us, we like to go to the redwoods sometimes or to go to the beach and just sit in that that peaceful calm of the water or to breathe the air that's in the redwoods. It's also mentioned throughout the scriptures that Jesus often deserted to quiet, desolate places, sometimes the desert, and often it says he retreated to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm sure it reminded him of heaven and paradise. Eden was the first place, the first garden of paradise. In Genesis 2, 8 through 17, it says, Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. He placed the man he had made. The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and, the la- and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch, called Pijon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris flowed east of the land of Usher. The fourth branch is called Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. We find in scriptures like Ezekiel 47 that is a, there's going to be a prophetic flow of water as God comes back, as Jesus comes back and inherits the earth and takes it back to set up his kingdom that brings a, a river of refreshment that naturally is going to restore the Dead Sea in different places, but it's also a symbol of the spiritual water that's going to flow into the lives of every person on earth, the refreshing water of being able to walk with God and to have true fellowship and to have true joy in being in his presence. He's going to restore the earth in such a way it's going to be that garden just like it was in Eden in the beginning. What do you think about heaven as your inheritance? Do you ever think about it? Do you ever think about where you're going to spend your whole life? <clears throat> Again, we spend, we try to spend a, like some time during the year of getting away and having a little vacation and having some moments in the peaceful paradises that are in our natural world. But what about spending eternity with God in that kind of environment? In Revelation 2, 7, Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden of paradise. Wow. To me, overcome speaks of the word we heard earlier this summer from Ben Van Meter, our missionary, about having to persevere. It's a work for us to persevere in our spiritual life when we have so many problems and things that we deal with. There's such distractions that want to steal our joy and our peace in our, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but Jesus gave us the power and presence of his Holy Spirit to overcome and to be victorious in our faith walk. That we might receive what God has for us now and also to be ready to receive heaven. The full restoration. Man back in the garden walking with God. Right now, even in the hectic busyness of life, even in the distractions and tribulations, we, through Jesus Christ, have the privilege and honor to walk with God now, even though we're not in a perfect environment. I just wanted to read some of the heavenly encounters. In Genesis twenty-eight seventeen, you know that story where Jacob, he was distressed, he was about to meet his brother. Last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted to kill him, and so he was really apprehensive. But it's very the very tribulation drove him into a heavenly encounter, drove him into a place where he was going to experience God, that place called Bethel, the house of God. Jacob says this in Genesis twenty-eight seventeen. What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Can you imagine the, the freedom that Jacob felt from the stress when he saw that ladder between between heaven and earth, and he saw angels going up and down, and he felt that peace of God as God reminded him of the promises that that came to him, that God was going to bless him, and he was able to rise up and face his brother the next day. What about Elijah? In 2 Kings 2.11, one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament, one who called down and stopped the rain and did different uh, incredible things, calling down fire, destroying the prophets of Baal. And they, it says in 2 Kings 2.11, and they, Elijah and Elisha, were walking along and talking, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two of men and separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. You know, we read these stories, and, you know, they're powerful examples of what God has done with his people and their experiences of leaving earth and going into heaven. 
In Acts 7.55, we hear Stephen's story. Stephen, while being stoned to death, was full of the Holy Spirit and gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then he fell down dead. Paul, talking about himself in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-5, It is doubtless, he writes, not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. How he was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. That first heaven or the starry heaven was considered what we see at night, the stars. And we, we see pictures like from the satellites and stuff that look back and they show earth as this ball. That's that first heaven and that starry heaven. But the third heaven is where God's throne is and where we will reside someday. Anticipation of heaven um, brings an excitement about our future inheritance. What has God said to you? Has he revealed heaven to you? I I was a young boy uh, in the middle of the night. I I had a headache. My dad prayed for me, and I went back to sleep. And I I, I had a, a just only time I ever had a colorful dream. But I saw Jesus coming, and I saw colors and the brightness of his glory and the overpowering overwhelmingness of his presence and I felt myself flying to him I've never jumped out of an airplane never did any skydiving but that feeling was just that rush of flying people today experience heaven maybe some of you have heard of Don Piper in 1989 he was a a pastor and he was coming back from a a retreat that he he had gone to and he was trying to head home and he happened to be crossing an old bridge and there was a, a semi that came across and came into his lane head on and all 18 wheels rolled over him. His car was totally crushed and he was totally dead. He was pronounced dead by the paramedics and the, uh, the troopers when they came and it was raining and they just put a tarp over the car. But there was another man that came along later who uh, had left the retreat and he felt the urge that he needed to stop. He didn't know it was Don because he knew Don but he didn't know it was Don or Don's car and so he kind of pressed through, and the trooper said, I don't know what you want. This guy's dead, but I just want to pray. So he finally let him. So he, he went and lifted the tarp, and he couldn't even get to, um, to Don because, because it was so crushed and mangled. But he just kind of began to pray, and he began to sing. And after a while, um, Don began to sing. And he had this incredible experience about being in heaven for 90 minutes. Don said a few things. All worries and anxieties and concerns vanish. I had no needs and I felt perfect. I get frustrated describing what heaven was like because I can't begin to put it into words what it looked like, what it sounded like, and what it felt like. It was perfect, and I knew I had no needs and never would again. I didn't even think of earth or those things left behind. Everything was perfect. I sensed that I knew everything and had no questions to ask. My heart filled with the deepest joy I've ever experienced. I wasn't a participant in worship, and yet I felt as if my heart sang out with the same kind of joy and exuberance. You know, 
we, we read these stories and we see the experiences and hear the experiences of people. This is something that maybe some of you guys have seen the movie. They made a movie last year about, uh, or actually in 2016, about uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, Don's experience. But he's gone all over the world just sharing his experience about heaven. He's continued to encourage people in making a commitment to Jesus Christ and getting to know the Lord and being prepared for heaven. Then most of you know about the book Heaven is Real that little uh, Colton Burpo experienced. Here he is, a, a three-year-old, a little less than four um, years old, and he has this appendix burst and went through all this of uh, almost near death of what was going on. And Colton's story it reminds me of Matthew 18, 1 through 4. And it says, About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And maybe it's no wonder why little uh, Colton had this experience in heaven. His dad was a pastor, and this situation was so horrendous. They had, the family had been going through a lot of things, but this was so horrendous that his dad was so angry that he went into the little uh, prayer room at the hospital, and he was raging at God. He was screaming at God. And later, to his embarrassment, his son said that, I saw you, Dad when you were angry and screaming at God. And his father felt so ashamed and so embarrassed that he was raging at God. But it was at that very moment that Jesus told Colton that because your dad is interceding and crying out for you, you have to go back. And it forever touched the father that how could the son know what he was going through? How could the son have seen him in that room? And yet in heaven, Jesus made him aware of the intercession that was going on for him. He went through a lot of things, and he experienced a lot of things in those three minutes. He said he spoke to angels, and he sat on Jesus' lap. He said Jesus had a cousin. Well, little, little uh, Colton, he, he I obviously did, wasn't connecting John the Baptist as Jesus' cousin, but he said, he told his dad, you know, Jesus has a cousin. His cousin's really nice. You know, it just brings us into that reality that when a person passes, They leave this place. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to go, to leave this body and go be with Jesus. He says this, Dad, did you know Jesus has a horse? And if you read Revelation 19, it talks about Jesus' horse. Did you know Jesus has markers on his hands and his feet? I mean, his dad kept kind of, he, dad didn't want to, dad, his dad wanted to ask so many questions, but he just kind of let the conversations happen. Whenever Colton would remind, be reminded of his heaven experience, he would just let him talk. And, and so he kind of think, like, what is markers? And he gets talking to him, and he finally he said, well, on his hands he's got these little red marks, and, and on his feet he has these little red marks. And his father knew, oh, the cross, you know. He's been marked because of our salvation, because of taking our place. Colton's talked about his um, father's grandfather who had died when Colton's dad was about his age. So when Colton's dad, when, when he lost his dad, his dad was an old man. But talking to Colton, who Colton saw was his grandfather as a young man. 
And over a period of time, in talking to his son, he, he called his mother and he said, do you have a picture of Papa w- when he was young? And so it took a couple of weeks, but his mom sent him a picture of Papa. And he happened to have the picture there, and he said, called, hey, do you recognize anybody here? Oh, yeah, that's Pop. Right there, that's Pop. And this was the picture when the grandfather was a young man, which Colton had never seen because he had died when his dad was young. These little things just brought such encouragement to the family that Colton's experiences were real. I want to read one more thing I thought was one of the most profound things in the book of, of Colton's experiences. I think I have a few minutes. One evening, um, Colton's mom was in the living room and his dad was kind of by the kitchen. And Colton just says to his mom, Mom, I have two sisters, Colton said. I put down my pen. Sonia didn't. She kept on working. Colton repeated himself, Mommy, I have two sisters. Sonia looked up from her paperwork and shook her head slightly. No, you have a sister, Cassie. And you don't, don't you mean your cousin Tracy? No, Colton clipped off. The word adamantly. I have two sisters. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? At that moment of time, stopped in the Burble household. And Sonia's eyes grew wide. Just as few seconds before, Colton had been trying unsuccessfully to get his mom to listen to him. Now, even from the kitchen, I could see that he had her full, undivided attention. Who told you I had a baby die in my tummy, Sonia said, her tone serious. She, <clears throat> she did, Mommy. She said, she died in your tummy. Then Colton turned and started to walk away. And he said what he had to say and was already on the move. But after the bomb he had dropped, Sonia was not letting him get off that easy. Before her son could get around the couch, Sonia's voice rang out and all hands on deck red alert. Colton, Todd, Burpo, you get back here right now. Colton spun around and caught my eye. His face said, what did I just do? I knew what my wife had been, to, had been feeling. Losing the baby was the most painful event in her life. We had explained it to Cassie. She was older, but we hadn't told Colton, judging the topic, a bit beyond a four-year-old's capacity to understand from the table. I watched quietly as emotions rioted across Sonia's face, a bit n- nervously. Colton sh- slunk back around the couch and faced his mom again, this time much more warily. It's okay, Mommy, he said. She's okay. God adopted her. Sonia slid off the couch and knelt down in Colton's, in Colton's feet. And she said, and so that she looked into his eyes, Don't you mean Jesus adopted her? She said, No, Mommy, his dad did. Sonia turned around at me, looked at me. In that moment, she later told me she was trying to stay calm, but she was overwhelmed. Our baby was, is, a girl, she thought. Sonia focused on Colton, and I could hear the effort it took to steady her voice. So what did she look like? She looked a lot like Kathy, Colton said. She is just a little bit smaller, and she has dark hair, Sonia's dark hair. As I watched, a blend of pain and joy played over my wife's face. Kathy and Colton have my blonde hair. She had even jokingly complained to me before. I carried these kids for nine months, and they both look, come out looking like you. And now there was a child who looked like her, a daughter I saw, the first hint of moisture glint in my wife's eyes. Now Colton went on without prompting. In heaven, this little girl ran up to me, and she wouldn't stop hugging me. He said in a tone that clearly indicated 
he didn't enjoy all this hugging from a girl. Maybe she was un- just unhappy. Maybe she was just as happy that someone from her family was there. Sonia offered girls hug when we're happy. We hug. Colton didn't, over- didn't seem convinced. Sonia's eyes lit up and she said, What was her name? What was the little girl's name? Colton seemed to forget about this yucky girl's hugs for a moment. She doesn't have a name. You guys didn't name her. You know, these stories, what they do is encourage us that there is life when we leave here. And what it does for believers to encourage us to live for God and to tell people about Jesus. And it also has us open to be aware what God would speak to us or show to us. In John 16, 13, it says Jesus, will, the Holy Spirit will tell us things to come. I believe at times God wants to encourage us and, and tell us about our future. When we lose loved ones who know Jesus, it encourages us to know that they go right into God's presence. It goes on to talk about this little girl that she, it says she said to him before he left that she's looking forward to the day when her mom and dad come home to be in heaven. I mean, the incredible things. It had to be a miracle of God. It had to be God's revelation for this little boy so young to have such revelations in three minutes' time.